Welcome to Deal Closers with Annette Tali, where we focus on the deals. Our guests are real estate closers who will share in detail the whole process from finding a deal to closing it, as well as strategies and tips to help you do the same. Here is your host, Annette Tali. Welcome to another episode of Deal Closers. I am your host, Annette Tali, and my guest today is Alex Feliz. Welcome, Alex. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. I am so excited too. So let me tell you a little bit about Alex. He is a real estate investor and has spent his a career in bank lending. He is an expert in long distance real estate, debt strategies, and risk analysis. Alex has been buying real estate since 2016 and currently owns eight single family houses and a small multifamily unit. He is an avid reader likes to spend time doing photography, lifting weights, and he owns the website brokeisachoice.com, which has become a cultural phenomenon. Wow. So tell me a little bit about yourself and how did you get into real estate? Uh, yeah, I, um, I got into real estate, uh, started around 2014. I started learning, uh, mostly because like so many Americans, I was sick of living week to week and month to month working for a tyrannous boss that I hated uh, with no end in sight, uh, buying up consumer debt, nice cars and fancy clothes and just going through that W2, you know, slavery. And I got sick of it, man, really sick of it. Like really, really sick of it. And I said, I'll do anything that I possibly can to get out of this, uh, but I don't want to work that hard. And I had no money. How, how old were you? Uh, I was... It was probably 2014 that this happened, so 30. Okay. 30. So I was a financial train wreck until I was 31 or so, about that. Uh, so if you're younger than that and you have anything, anything resembling financial responsibility, you are way ahead of the game as far as I'm concerned. Um, and so I, I started looking at how can I make money without, um, you know, I didn't want to get, get rich quick scheme. I didn't want some, I wanted something passive cause I didn't really want to go to work every day. I didn't have that much money and I wanted it to be tried and true. Okay. I didn't want to go off and try to do something that was like Bitcoin or, you know, develop an app or something that was out of my skill set and maybe short lived. So it had to be tried and true dude, real estate. And it happened to be 2014 where the real estate market was, uh, people were still a little scared of it. It wasn't popularized like it, like it is now, uh, because we had just gotten through the crash. So prices were depressed. There was an abundance of properties um, that the banks were still unloading. Uh, debt was starting to become easy to, uh, you know, liquidity was starting to get easy. So I jumped in and I bought a house that I lived in in 2014. We bought it for like 55000 off the MLS and moved in with an FHA loan. So I was out of pocket, like three grand. 18 months later, appraised for one fifteen, and I was hooked. Wow. I was like, this is easy. <laughs> <laughs> That's what everybody says, right? It's easy. Let's all do it. That's right. I say it all the time. It's easy. All right. So how did your uh, website come about? Broke is not, is, oh, sorry. Broke is a choice. Broke is a choice. Yeah. So like I said, I was broke for 30 years of my life. Like almost every single, I mean, I'm, I'm painting with a broad brush, but probably 90 plus percent of people are broke. And by broke, I mean, you can't quit your job because you have respons financial responsibilities and you don't have the income to support it without working. You're broke, you're stuck. And it's just, I realize that that is common, but it is our choice. We get sucked into buying cars and iPhones and nonsense. And we try to live this expensive cost of living to keep up with other people. 
and people don't want to make any sacrifice. And so I changed my life, not by working that much harder. I'm pretty lazy. Um, I talk a lot of, I talk a lot of smack online about what I do and don't do, but I'm a, I'm a, I'm not a, I'm not a hyper ambitious guy. I'm not a hyper hard worker. I just realized that I can get really far if I make a little sacrifice and most people won't make any sacrifice at all whatsoever. They won't sell their car. They won't buy crappy clothes. They won't give up, you know, fancy restaurants and all this other stuff. So they make no sacrifice. And so that's their choice and that's fine. But that's why that's why you're broke. If you try a little bit, it goes a long way. And so in 2017, I had bought five, six houses at the time and I knew some stuff and I said, I can share my story with the world to maybe help the next person to get out of being broke and make better choices. I needed a name that was brash and kind of rude, but also incontrovertibly true, which is my style. I say what you don't want to, I say a lot of things that people don't want to hear and I say it kind of rude and, uh, but I'm right. So and that's, that's why, why I love you. That's why that's I love right. to follow you. <laughs> well, thank you. Then. And so look, it's not for everybody. Some people are like, dude, you don't need to be that way. And some people are like, I like it. I like his style and I'm okay with being a polarizing figure, but that's why the name came that way. Broke is a choice because it 100% is a choice. You just don't want to hear it. Yeah. But you have to also be true to yourself. You know, when you are, I think if, if that's, you know, the way you think you, you should just be your, uh, you know, the way you are and people are going to follow you. If you, they like you, they will follow you. If they don't like you, they will unfriend you or, you know, not hang out with you. So I think, uh, I, I love that about you, that you are just true to yourself and your sarcasm. It's amazing. The deal. The last deal I did, well, I did this flip that's going on right now, but uh, the, the, the deal you probably want to hear about is the multifamily. That was okay. an interesting deal. Uh, 24 units in Fayetteville, North Carolina. Um, it was a pretty standard, straightforward deal. So we bought it in 2019. So as you know, market mania is at its peak. Uh, prices, uh, cap rates are, are being uh, crunched due to low, the long-term low interest rate environment. And so you basically have to pay up for everything right now. And so, but I wanted to get in the game. So we went out and we... And before this, you had single family, correct? Eight single families, yeah. And I've done a bunch of other transactions with other people, helping them buy houses and stuff. So I have, I had probably done, between my team and I, we probably did 40 transactions in 2018 and another 40 in 2019. Um, Excellent. I own personally the eight, the eight single family homes, but I really wanted to get into multifamily. Uh, just we'll scale. Single family doesn't scale. I mean, I don't want 50 of them. So yeah, I then, to... like, you have so many locations. It's hard. That's the same uh, for me after getting, after getting to my third duplex. Um, and I also manage 16 units in a different location. It was already like too many places to go. And it just gets, gets hard, you know, different roofs. So much easier if you have, you know, one place with That's 24 it. units. That's the whole thing. <laughs> All right. So how did you find it? So this is the best part of the story. And this is what I tell people, like you should have your own website. I don't care what you think you know or don't know about real estate or how new you are or whatever the case is. If you're on the internet and you're gonna, and you're, and you're gonna live going forward into the future where, in, where the internet's gonna become a bigger part of the, your life, then you need your own website. Not a Facebook page, not an Instagram page, you need your own URL. And so I started mine, like you said, broke as a choice and I just go on there and I, I don't do ads, I don't, do, um, I don't make any money on that website, I don't sell any courses or coaching. And I don't, um, I don't really do emails. It's a very organic thing. But people find me because, you know, I'm loud. Okay. So I say all that to say, 
what, one of the things I do is on my website is I offer video chats for free on Thursday nights. So if you want to video chat with me, you can meet me just like we're talking right now. You chat, no big deal. And so a guy comes down there and he goes, Hey, I want to buy houses um, in North Carolina. Can you help me? We chatted. Yep, sure can. Helped him buy a few. And then one day he emails me and he says, Hey, I got a 24 unit. I want to buy it. I have all the money, but I don't have, I don't know how to do the deal. I don't have the transactional experience to know how to put this deal together. Can you help? Yeah, I sure can help. So we put together an LOI. It was accepted. Um, I, it was 1.25 million. Um, we raised, we got a loan for uh, 75% LTV. We raised the difference. We didn't have to raise the difference, but I wanted to bring in partners because you, if you make somebody money, they'll give you more. So I, I brought in other partners and we closed the deal. We ended up negotiating down to 1 million, um, which is probably still too high. But that's the, <laughs> Okay, that's but let, let's unpack this for a little. Okay, so yeah. you found it, he found it on the MLS you mentioned before? No, the no he was. found it by, by networking with brokers in the area. So before that deal hit the market, we got a, we got a shot at it, which is, Excellent. like I only have the experience with this one deal, but that's pretty much how... Uh, multifamily works like you have to network with the brokers because they're going to give you the pocket listings by the time it hits the internet every especially in this environment where things are so hot and people are clamoring for deals by the time it hits the internet everybody who could have paid for it easily has passed on it yeah they don't want it for a reason <laughs> by that time it's too high it, it just doesn't work right okay so you 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 found it through networking which is so important all right so then he said that he had all the money, but you decided to bring more partners. How many partners did you end up having on this deal? Five total, me and four people. You and four people. Yep. And how were the responsibilities um, divided? Were they just uh, capital partners or? Yeah, I structured it as a JV. It was, it was me, him, and three people we knew. So it wasn't, we didn't really have to solicit. Um, on a $1 million deal, it didn't make financial sense to do a, a syndication. Because a syndication attorney is going to cost you, call it 15 grand yeah. um, or 10 grand, right? Well, that's 1%. It's such a, it's such a high percent of the, I don't know, is it 1% or 0.1%? It's such a high percent of the deal um, that it didn't make sense uh, right. for me to, to do that. And so I said, okay, I'll just raise the money. My legal fees were, I think, like two grand instead. Um, and we basically did it really simple. I, me and my one partner, we, have the bulk shares, which is both equity and cash flow. We basically split everything down the middle. So whatever percentage of the deal you own, that's what you get in profit and you'll get, you own an equity. So it's a very simple deal. Um, and we structured, because I'm in lending, I, it's, you should know that if anybody on a loan, anybody who owns 20% of the deal has to be a guarantor. And so what we did was we absolved our other bar, our passive investors from guaranteeing the loan by making them, I think like 18 and a little bit percent um, and so we got, we scooted that around. So it's basically even except me and my, my main partner have a little bit higher shares and we put in a little more money to buy that equity. Um, but pretty simple, very simple structure. What was your reasoning for not wanting them to guarantee the loan? Wouldn't it be better actually to have their networks part of the packing? Uh, didn't, didn't need it. Didn't care. And it was an easier way for me to sell. Right. It's like me and my partner have never done one of these. So you got to ask a bunch of people to, believe in you. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to make that transaction as easy as possible. So I say, Hey, look, you won't, you, you'll have to give up 
you won't have to guarantee anything. You have to, I wanted to shift the risk and say, look, I'm not, you can you give me money. I'm going to give you a return. You're going to take a risk on me because I haven't done this before, but I'm going to reduce your risk in that you have no liability other than your initial investment. Oh, excellent. That's, I didn't think of that. I would think that they would want to be on the loan, but that's right. It's reducing the risk. So that is, that makes it more attractive for them. Yep. And it's also ease of transaction, right? Because otherwise, if you guarantee a loan, now you have to start sending the bank your personal financial statements, tax returns, W-2s, da 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 And it's like, I just wanted them to send me a check for, for the, the, whatever it was, 60 grand and be done. I just wanted it to be easy. So I said, look, I can make this easy for you. And uh, I was not so, I'm not so concerned about the deal itself. So I, I didn't need their, I didn't need to spread the risk in that way. I'd rather absolve them of risk and make the transaction easy. Awesome. All right. So you said that, um, you know, you had all the money, but then you raised the money, but how was the financing? How, how, you are in lending, so you probably knew how to navigate this. Um, how did you work out that uh, financing? Uh, pretty simple. I mean, there wasn't that much to work out. It was, uh, we negotiated under 1 million. It was a $750,000 loan. It was 20, it was 30,000 in transaction costs. So we raised 280 across five people, like I said. Um, uh, it's a 5% fixed for 10 years with a 20-year AM. Okay, that's not bad. 10 years, is a, it, it's really good right now in the climate that we are, right? You don't want to do uh, five years. Yeah, I, I should have, you know, in retrospect on this deal, everything that I, all the things that I don't like about this deal, you know, 5% is okay. 10-year uh, fixed is good, but... If I had gone bigger, right, 24 is way too small. If I had gone bigger, I could have gotten way better terms. And I think about that in, in regards to everything. So scale was the reason I went into multifamily. And scale is the reason that I can't, I'll never do anything smaller than like, the next one's got to be at least 50 or bigger. And it, it's not an ego thing. It just makes more sense as you get bigger. Yeah, and, and, but you only realize that once you did it. Right, like I, I, I did that six unit after my duplex, and I thought, wow, this is a big step. And then once I did it, I'm like, I should have done it bigger. You know, all the paperwork, all the cost, I should have gone bigger than that. But you don't know that until you do it. Well, I'm, well, I learned. I figured it out. <laughs> Unfortunately, it was annoying because I figured it out really quick. I was like, <laughs> I, it was, it was, it was early in due diligence. And I was like, we should have, we should have gotten something bigger. It's going to start pissing me off. So I wasn't even happy about how many I'd bought uh, before I realized it. And I was already bent out of shape. And so now I'm, ad I'm actively looking for the next one because I'm like, eh, if we did 50 or 75 units, it'd be a lot easier. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So how did you negotiate the price from 1.25 to a million? That's a big chunk. Uh, well, they were insane for asking what they were asking. So it was easy to knock them down. We had gotten them down to 1.1 pretty easily. Uh, um, we had gotten them down to 1.1 pretty easily. And then after due diligence, I retraded. I didn't want to retrade, but they were just, I still think at 1 million, I think I overpaid, to be honest. Um, so what was the price per unit at 1 million? 42, something like that. 40, and what are the rents there? Uh, they were under rented at 500 and now we're raising them to 600 pretty quickly. Oh, awesome. Did you have to do the renovations? We've done some renovations, but we find out that the tenants don't really care what, what, you know what it is, is, um, the place was being man. Okay. The place was being managed by the guy that owned it, which, you know, anybody who self manages that thinks they're saving money, you're wrong. You're dead ass wrong. 
uh, pay somebody. And then, so what was happening was he was overwhelmed with the property is, is my estimation. I don't know. And, uh, you know, he's a nice guy. I like, I've known him for a while. So it wasn't, you just can't manage 24 units on your own. I don't think. And, and then, you know, he had a whole other separate business going on. And so right before we got it, there was a bunch of, uh, there's a bunch of leases that had been all plugged in a few months earlier to fill the place. Mm. Uh, and so that's the best, right? When they put just anybody just to so fill yeah. the place. So he put them in cheap rents because he just needed somebody. And uh, our process for the last few months has been undoing that. But you got to wait for those leases to end. Well, they all come up in March, actually. About, about half the place will be vacant in March. Well, they don't know it's going to be vacant, but we're going to kick out probably, probably 30% of that place. And I think once we get out some of those problem tenants, you know, the transition, uh, once we get out some of those, pro those problem tenants, I think the place is going to run um, extremely well. You know, the trend, I, what I underestimated was the transition, the pain of transition, meaning those people that don't know our system, they're just, they, they're the leftover tenants. Mm -hmm. I don't, I, I don't, I underestimated how much, how painful that would be. So like my new product manager gets in there and we're pretty strict, you know, it's like, Hey, look, if you're late, you pay. Mm -hmm. If you're late by 10 days, you're out. And you know, they were, uh, there was a lot of leniency going on over there. So the, tr the friction that we had to, uh, of getting people on our set of rules sometimes goes smoothly. And for many people, it doesn't go smoothly. And for many, many people, it's never going to be okay at all. It's always going to be friction. And so it's like, get rid of those people. It's well, just, it's just get people in that from the very day one, they, you, we, there are people we know, um, they know to follow our rules. So that is something I underestimated. And I think that that scales up actually, as you go to higher class tenants, I think that's less of a problem. Um, but because this is like a C property, I think the, the, the more maintenance that a tenant needs and that scales downwards with, with class. So the, the lower the class property, the more, t the more maintenance a tenant individual needs they need, they have. And so, then you have more friction with property management changes. Absolutely. But it takes a while to train your tenant, right? It's like a process. They, they, if they were doing whatever they wanted, you know, it's going to take a couple of months for them to process that they are going to be paying late fees and that you are not going to be forgiving them and that you're going to go through the process. Um, some people catch it really quick and some others, they don't. Uh, but, you know, like in my experience, uh, you know, it, it, it takes time. Um, you might not want to get everybody out at the same time because it's going to take from your cash flow, but you can stagger it, right? Um, unless they are really problematic tenants where you don't really want to extend it. And, and, and yeah, we, we'll, we'll stagger it for the most part, but there's some that um, you know, their lease is up March 1 and it'll be gone March 1. Yeah, no, I, I totally get it. I had some people that, you know, no way they're going yeah. and then some others that i'm like okay i can you know i can wait a little bit so i can when they go then i can remodel the unit you know i have um when i bought the six units they we had there was one empty unit and they wanted to put these people and i looked i they were nice enough to send me their information and i didn't like them i did i knew that they were not going to be good but he was really pushing to put them in because uh -huh. he was going to lose one month of rent right um so you know, he, he still had the property, so he put them in. They are smokers. Like when I get the rent money, it stinks. And because they, they had the previous lease, I cannot change 
the way they were doing stuff until their lease is up. You know, so they won't yeah. pay digitally. I have to pick up the money personally. <laughs> and, and oh my goodness, it's just a problem. But you know, once their lease is up, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to remodel the, prop, the, the unit. So, yeah. you know, because it's just, it's so stinking there. Like when I get in there, I get a headache from the smell. So I, I'm gonna, I, I, extend, I extended at least six more months because I want to have time to be able to remodel it. And they ruined it anyways, you know, at this point. So that, that's my reasoning. But, but kudos to you for, you know, switching that right away. Yeah, it's, well, again, you know, you work with some people and then some people, we've had that property seven months now and um, some people are going to be a problem. Like, well, I'd rather have a few months of vacancy than have tenants that, pay late or don't, you know, and then you're always, you're always catch them anyways. It's just more work for my property manager and I can go a few months low cash flow, but what I can't do is make, I can't have a good relationship with my property manager if he's unhappy. So right. everything I do is like try to make business, to make it very easy to do business with people. And so if the property manager, you give him a good property, you give him something that's easy to manage. And he's like, he's ambitious to go do it and collect rents and take care of the problems. And then when something does nasty comes up, he's more apt to go do it. But if you give him a bunch of tenants that are miserable and they don't pay and he's always chasing them. And then you're like, well, but I don't want to lose the, you know, the couple of months of rent. It's like, you know, you're not making his life easier. Why would you then expect him to make your life easier? Right. So, so it's, what type of changes did you do that it was like a shock to these tenants? Well, we've gone in there now. We repaved the driveways. Um, which are old and nasty. We repaved those. We um, and then we pressure washed the place because it's old and grimy. So like the place looks much nicer. Um, we came in there and um, we upkeep the place a lot better than the previous um, manager did. Now, which that costs me, but at the same time, it also allows me to charge higher rents. It justifies those rents, and it allows me to you know when tenants like you said tenants come around, they see the place and like they see us there. We're cleaning up. We're pay taking care of it. We're 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 making it look nice. And then they're the nasty ones. And it makes it very, very obvious to everybody who the degenerates are. And then when they have to leave, it's less of a surprise. Right. Yeah. They either like adjust or they are going to have to go. Yeah. We've had some leave because they're like, I can tell that they've been. And I mean, look, the place is a C-class property. It's old. Um, it's not, you know, it doesn't have any amenities. Um, I like the building, but it's one of those things where some people have seen themselves out. They're like, oh, they're, they're upfitting this place. It doesn't suit me anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, Are you planning to do any, any amenities? No. Uh, so again, the thing with this property was it's very hard for somebody who's new or never bought a, a big office building to go out and buy, you know, $7 million building, raise all that money. That's a daunting task. And so what this was for me is this was paid for college. I needed something I could get in. I could get the transaction experience. I could show, um, you know, lender that I have experience running it. Uh, and, and it's certainly much different. And I've been in lending for a long time and I've done commercial loans for a long time. And even for me owning it and going through the, the months and months, it's, it's, it's an incredible learning experience. And so for me, this was, Hey, look, let's buy a property that has some value add little to be fair, little, I knew the rents were under, I knew it was under rented. Um, so I knew we could raise the rents a little bit, but there was not that much to add. It was more like, look, we can optimize this property. We can get experience. It'll kick off cash flow. It'll be a fairly easy property to deal with. Excellent. Yeah, I like that. You know, you learn by doing much faster than just doing a course. And, you know, it's, oh, it's yeah. a, such an amazing experience. Yeah. All right. 
So what's your exit strategy for this property? Are you planning to hold it for long term or are you planning to sell? Um, in five years, well, four and a half now, if the market, it depends on where the market is. I mean, really that's what it comes down to. So it depends on where the market is. If, if, if in five years we're going to, we'll visit it for the first time, if it makes sense to sell and we can, and you know, rates are still down and prices are still going up, then I'll sell. I don't want to, I don't want to hold it just to hold it. Um, it also depends what else, what I can do with the money, right? Could we 1031 it? It's like, well, maybe, but what's out there? So I, the exit strategy is, uh, we're very flexible because it's going to kick off cash flow. And what I also do is I make sure none of the partners need the money. Right. And it wasn't that much. I mean, not to say 50,000 or 60,000 isn't much, it isn't a lot of money because it is, but in the grand scheme of things, I, I gave, I gave five people or four people a piggy bank. So here, give me that 60 grand. I'll stick in this piggy bank and it'll make money. And so in, in a few years we can kind of decide. Um, I, my guess is what's going to happen is in five years we'll refinance and cash some people out and some people will want to hold it probably forever. Some, some, some people in the deal are going to want to sit on it and I'm okay with that. So maybe some people will just refinance and get bought out or whatever. Right. Okay. Awesome. Expert tips. All right. So now we are in the part of the show where I'm going to ask you to give me three tips and you're going to give me three tips on skills that scale. Skills that scale. So I did this, I did this speech and I'm going to do it again in um, PA. Uh, I've been saying this for years. Three things you should do every day. uh, Educate, network, and create content. And that one I added last. And what that means is, you know, every day you can spend time getting better, uh, excuse me, learning, learning something new. And I do that primarily through books. I'm a bookaholic. Um, Podcasts is how I learned real estate, the bigger pockets podcast and you know, other individuals websites. So every day, every, every single day, every single day, you should spend time doing these things because knowledge compounds like you wouldn't believe, you know, you maybe forget a book, but you don't forget the message of the book. You might not remember all the quotes, but you're like, you, you remember what it told you. Or like and one that, little tip even, right? That's it. And that sticks with you forever, right? Like I read Rich Dad Poor Dad in 2005, but I didn't buy a property in 2014. Right. When I read it in 2005, it didn't mean anything to me. I didn't have any interest in real estate. I didn't think it was possible, but in my head it stuck with me. It's like, dude, passive income, not active, active income, passive income, not active income. And that thing sat drilled in my brain for 10 years before I needed it. And so the things you read today, you don't know how they'll affect you. God, in 50 years, you're still going to be alive. Like those things might be valuable then too. So educate every single day. The next second one is networking. The best possible investment any person can make is in another person. Always. All the money you're ever going to make is going to come from another human hand. So every day I spend time networking. That's online, digitally. I text people. Um, I have this thing where I text people at 7 in the morning. I tell them, hey, I hope you have a magical day or whatever. I'm thinking about you. And I just I buy real estate in their brains, you know. Um, conferences. Uh, local meetups, like every single day, networking, every single day, every single day, they compound all the relationships, I mean, that you have in your life or where, how are you going to make money with these people? So it's, you have and to know how them. Do you, how do you pick, I mean, you know, there is so many people. Um, how do you pick who to network with and how do you go from like somebody that doesn't know you to somebody that you become friends with? Yeah, so uh, I'll give you two examples. Uh, Jay Scott, 
you know, Jay. Yes. Um, look, I look at this guy and I said, this guy's smart, right? He's got his stuff together. He's a big, uh, he's a big personality in bigger pockets. And so I just go on Facebook and I just message him all the time, all the time. I just annoy people until they can't get away from me. And then they're like, yeah, I might as well be friends with them. It's like <laughs> Stockholm syndrome, right? I just bother them until they're like, oh, Alex, that guy, I guess we're friends now. Um, Matt Faircloth is another one. Um, Matt Faircloth has been buying multifamily properties. I talked about three years ago. He wrote his book, How to Raise Capital. I reached out to him, gained a little time, and slowly but surely, now we're doing video projects together for Bigger Pockets, and we're going to Best Ever, and we're staying together in Denver. And it's just, how do you pick somebody? It's like find the person who's doing what you want to do, who's your close carrot, meaning they're not so far ahead of you. Oh, you know, the person who owns $500 million in real estate, it's like not them. But if you own no real estate, it's like the guy who owns three to 10 deals. That's the person you need to be friends with. And so you just annoy the bejesus out of them until, well, and that's how I do it. I mean, everybody has a different style. But as far as reaching out to somebody, I mean, look, it's the internet. Like, like do you know how many, how many spam emails do you get a day? Wouldn't it be nice to get a real one? That's it. That's it. And so few people just will be willing to reach out. So if you're just one of the few who is willing to reach out, it's like you'd be surprised how nice people are and how much time they're willing to give you. I've never had it where I reached out to somebody and they're like, I just don't like you. I don't want to deal with you. Leave me alone. Never <laughs> and, and that's the way we met too. You know, like we were on I'm Facebook on. and we've been, you know, messaging each other and, uh, you know, that's, that's how you connect with people and you see if you like them or not. I did have one time I do, send friend requests to people that are in real estate. And one time he's like, who are you? Why are you messaging me? Uh, I was like, oh yeah, I just want to connect with people in real estate, you know? And he's like, no, I don't know you. Don't message me again. I'm like, okay. <laughs> but like so, out of like 500, you know, one. Yeah. That. If you, people email me with, uh, I, have a, I have a BS detector, like you wouldn't believe. Like I'm a natural gift at it. And so if you email me and you're trying to sell me something, I can smell it from a mile away. And so then I'll give you that. I'm like, who are you? How'd you find me? What do you want? I'll be really, I'm, I'm good at rude. So, so what I said, what tell, what I tell people is don't spam people to network. That's the mistake. Like don't spam people. I'm trying to, you know, I just want to connect with everybody. It's like, no, that's the mistake. Like find the right person. Like you said, find the right person who's doing what you want to do. Who's just a little bit ahead of you and is maybe doing it in the same market that you want to do it in. Then be very extremely genuine and say, hey, look, this is what I'm trying to do. Maybe you can help. Don't send them a five-page email. Like, be respectful of their time. If they have content already, go read it. So you're not asking them questions for, for something that they've already put out. That's right? such a good one. That's such a good one. You know, People like, search your person. Like, if you're trying to connect with somebody, do a little bit of research. If they have a website, if they have videos, if they have wrote articles, and then you can find a common ground. You know, like, I read your article and I love what you said about this. You know, and that's, you know, you're going to uh, connect. Yeah, and then they know that you took the time. Like, you got to remember, like, if you're asking people, nobody's going to care about your business more than you. They're not going to care about your business more than you. So if you show them that you don't care about what they're doing, they're not going to care about what you're doing. And so people ask me all the time, like, oh, they email me. And as soon as I say something like, oh, you're into real estate, you know, what do you do? And I'm like, I send in my website. And it's like, here, I already wrote it. And now you can kind of figure out a little bit about me. But if you don't want to take the time to read my website and you just want me to write it again, eh, you know, I don't, I don't, Eh, I already did it. I'm not going to do it again just because you're not willing to read. If you're not willing to read, I'm not willing to write. It's kind of that thing. So, you know, give people a little bit of um, uh, respect and they'll give you respect back. Yeah. And you also mentioned something that I always tell my, my group on Facebook. 
you gotta go to meetups and you gotta go to yeah. conferences. Yep. That's to, for me for five years or six. I did it all by myself. I didn't connect with anybody. I was just like you know learning as I went. And you know what what changed really my investing was starting to go to network events and conferences. So valuable. Tell me about that. Uh, yeah, I knew to conferences, but man, they are life changing. There's nothing. I love the internet. I make most of my friends through the internet, actually, but there's nothing that's ever going to replace shaking a hand, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, maybe somewhere down the future, some technology, VR, whatever, but it's for the very near and mid future, shaking hands is the way. And so, yeah, it's, it's me and Annette, and we're best friends, da 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 da, but it's different when I meet you. It's yeah. different when, it, when, when you really meet somebody. And so, uh, going to conferences is like going to, um, you know, you have your Facebook group, which I know I've seen grow tremendously over the last year. I'm so happy for you about that. Thanks but, so much. But if you had a conference where people showed up in person, it'd be a whole different event, right? And so that's exactly what conferences are. It's, it's the Facebook group. It's, the, it's the, the concentration of people that have the same interest as you in real life. And it's like, hey, I want to go. And it's like a, you want to go to a meetup to meet all the people who live in South Florida or Miami who, live, who all want to do real estate. So you go there and there's a couple hundred people there. And but if you go to a, a conference, it's not just the people that are local, it's the people who are willing to, to, to step up and buy a plane ticket and a hotel and, a and, a, and, a, and an event ticket and really commit. And so you weed out the people who are talk is cheap, bro. Yeah, that's what I was like just thinking. Like people that go to conferences, they are really investing on it. They are spending their money. They are serious about it. Even if they don't execute maybe right away, but they are like, a lot more investing invested than somebody that is just on Facebook. But I, what I found is that I meet a lot of people on Facebook. And then when I go to conferences, I meet them in real life. And then you have this, you know, background that you already talked to them and you kind of know them, but now you meet them in real life. And it's such a nice experience, you know, to do that. And that like the first time that I went to a conference, that's when I realized, Oh my goodness, this is so much better. And like, that's when I started getting real connections. Yeah. And the, the, to add to that, you ha it's not a one and done thing because somebody will see you at a conference and they're like, man, oh, so good to meet Annette, blah, 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 blah. But then I see you at the next conference. And so, so it's a whole different game. It's like, oh, not only does, did Annette, in, like you said, invest and commit herself to go to this conference, I saw her at the next one too. And I'm going to see at this next other third one over here. And it's like, oh, she's really no joke taking this seriously. And so, you know, that old saying like rock stars hang out with rock stars. And so if you want to be one, it's like, just go where they're, where they're going. I mean, okay. Bigger pockets con was a thousand people. Are you going to best ever conference in Denver? I am not. I'm so sad. Well, Maybe next year. Speaking of people who are not committed. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, I, I, you know, I have kids. I can go to everything. I understand. <laughs> I'm just teasing you. Um, and so, you know, I'll be at that conference and then um, you'll, I'll see people from there at, uh, uh, I'm going to Real Estate Hackers in Pennsylvania in April. Actually, I'm speaking there. Uh, I'll be at Best Ever in, uh, excuse me, Bigger Pockets in New Orleans. Uh, Dave Van Horn has Mid-South Atlantic in September. And so it's like, you start to notice, it's like, oh, it's the same 40 people I hang out with all the time. And Hi. the rule for success in everything I've ever done is the same which is spend time around people who are more successful than you at the topic, at the thing that you want to be good at. And if you spend enough time around them, like by osmosis, you'll be good at it. And so I start my first, the first hobby I ever got engrossed in was powerlifting. And so if you want to deadlift 500 pounds, 
spend every single one of your days around people that are deadlifting 500 pounds. And then you have no, you, you have no choice. Like it's inevitable. And so the same thing I got, I got good at photography. It was the same way. It's like, I just hang around good, good photographers all the time. And you just pick up things and you, they take it seriously. They invest in you. It's like, you, you have no choice. Um, and so if you want to be good at real estate, it's like go where all the hotshot real estate network, uh, real estate people are hanging out at and just, just be there. God forbid you try on top of it. But if you just went there, you'd be, your success would be inevitable. Awesome. Awesome. And so let's go to the third tip. Content, uh, content production. Yeah. So if networking is you going out to the world and organizing people to be around you, then content production is the beacon that you put out to bring those other people to you. Um, and you 100% have to, you have to nowadays, you have to, you have to have a, you know, it's a digital resume. People are going to like, who is this Alex guy? You're going to Google me and you're going to go to that website, brokersofchoice.com. You're like, Oh, he's real. He's as real as it gets. But if I just, you know, I can tell you I'm real. I can tell you I'm this, I can tell you I'm that. But you know, if you Google it and I don't, and I don't have anything, it's, it's, you know, it's the same thing with the conference. It's like, you want to take it seriously? You want, you want to show people that you take it seriously? Then build your own website. Not a Facebook page, not an Instagram. You need those too, but those are going to change. Just like MySpace changed and, you know, Facebook was the only one and now it's just one of many. Like, you have to have your own URL and you have to be putting out content because the content and not repurpose. I hate people, but I shouldn't say that. You, it's, you have to do more than just repurposing somebody else's content or their fancy quotes. You have to come up with your own original thoughts and put them on the internet so that people know that you're a unique thinker and not just you know, a megaphone for somebody else because then you can go just go listen to somebody else if you're just re retweeting stuff. Um, the second thing it does is, um, well, can I tell you the long story? Sure, love long stories. Last year, Netflix lost 30% of their value in one day when they announced that Friends and The Office, the two biggest shows on Netflix, are leaving. And it was like a, it was more than a light bulb. It was like a bomb went off in my brain and I realized Netflix is going to die, most likely. Maybe not, but they're, gonna, they're certainly not going to be the, uh, the titans they, they are now. And they're going to have the exact same problem that Uber is going to, Uber is going to have the same problem coming up. And it, what it is, is they don't own the intellectual property. They're just, they're just, the inf they're just a software infrastructure to get you to the intellect, to the, get you to the thing that has value. And so having your own website is the, is the same way. You own the intellectual property and people binge. So I say all that to say, you need to start putting out content now because in five years, right? If somebody finds you, they're going to go back and binge through your whole catalog. Um, and you can backwards monetize, you can backwards monetize content on the internet. Somebody comes and looks at a blog from five years ago. It's got an ad on it. It's worth something. Um, Intellectual property, intellectual property, and binge culture. Like these are my two number, those are like my two most important things for 2020. Um, and you should do them every day because it's a skill like any other. You get better at it. So you got to practice. Put out content, put out content, put out content, build a book of business, show people that you're an authentic and real, you know, and, and that you have your own real thoughts and it'll act as your digital resume and then do it over time. Absolutely. And, and that's what I'm creating right now, you know, for yeah. my, for my audience. Um, you don't have to be the expert. You can invite experts to, you know, to talk to you if you don't feel confident about that, but then you're going to learn as you go, as you hang out, like you said, with rock stars, you're going to start learning their tricks and you can apply them and then you're going to get results. hundred percent. And look, I don't, everybody, 
you know, everybody has different skills. Everybody has different strengths and weaknesses. So whatever your content is, like when I say content, I mean, you don't have to be teaching people anything. Just tell your story, right? Uh, Gary Vee is good in that. He's like, just document. And I agree with that. Like I don't, well, we talked about it before the show. Like I have no strategy with my product. If you go to my Instagram and my YouTube, I don't have many views. I don't have many followers. It's not like a, it's not a marketing thing. It's more like tell your story for real. And then the people who are looking for you specifically, they'll find you. That's what I mean by content production. I'm not trying to sell, I'm not trying to say sell ads or be a marketing guru. What I'm saying is you need to have a place on the internet that's your own, that you can tell your story so that eventually people are going to want to hear it. Absolutely. And you know, if you are genuine in what you do, people are going to look for you. Like, you know, I love watching your posts on Facebook and you know, I, every once in a while I'm like, what, what is Alex doing today? Let me search for him. I want to, I want to have some laughs. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, right. Well, that's, that's it. Uh, genuine is the answer. And so just like, you know, the, uh, the internet, the, the algorithms are getting really good at weeding out, um, nonsense. And so in the old days you got junk mail right to your doors. Like, oh, I still get them right. The, the, the oh circulars and get all that nonsense. It's like, how do you guys afford this? I can't. Okay. Well now then it became email spam mail, right? It's like, oh, ugh, just go to spam. Well, yeah. Now, because especially because we are we are in, at the height of the market, and there's so much liquidity around there, and so much money, and so much, it, it allows for a lot of scams. And so you get it all the time. I'm sure on Facebook you get bad, um, you get scammers emailing you, messaging you, trying to sell you stuff. Instagram, you know, you get that stuff. And so, well, what about the ones that are okay? What about the people who are good? They're not scamming, but they're not that authentic. They're just repurposing other content. So I say all that to say, like, the internet algorithm is going to get better, and they're going to weed out people who have low impact content, right? It's like, oh, you're just rehashing somebody else's phrases all day. It's like, they're gonna- yeah, It's already happening. Like if you, don't, if you don't get engagement, your posts are not shown. So, right, and so you're gonna be able to, and, and you're gonna be able to manipulate the algorithms less. The algorithms are gonna get better and better and better. And so they're really gonna shine on those who are authentic and genuine. Really, really, and as it gets better, it's like, oh, you wanna, you're gonna talk to either your friends or you're gonna talk to somebody that's like, yeah, Facebook really thinks you're gonna like this person because they're putting out stuff that's real. And so I say all that to say, like, tell your, like people say, I don't have any value, I don't know anything about real estate. Yeah, it's like, that's not the point. The point is to tell your authentic, real story as, and not to sell a story, just to really tell your story. Awesome. I am so excited to have you today. This has been amazing. I would go for two more hours, but I'm sure you have better things to do. Uh, I'm a talker, but I have to do work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me where can people find you on, on your, um, on the internet? Yeah. Broke is a choice.com. Broke is a choice.com. Broke is a choice.com is, uh, <laughs> is my website. Uh, you can find me on Facebook at Alexander Scott Felice. That's where I do most of my ranting. You can find me on bigger pockets. Um, Instagram, uh, Alex Scott Felice. I think, yeah. And the rest of them, I don't do much tweeting. I should. And YouTube, YouTube is my 20, I have no, I don't have that many videos in there, but YouTube is my 2020 focus. I got a big one coming out. Um, I think it's Alexander Felice. YouTube's gonna be my, my big 2020 goal. All right. So everybody that is watching this, please go to YouTube and give him some likes. Yeah, and then nice. tell him that you found him because of uh, my podcast. <laughs> yeah, do that. That'd be dope. I want to know. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you so much, Alex. See you next time. Thank you so much. Be well. 
This was Deal Closers with Annette Talee, brought to you by Talee Investments. We hope that you enjoyed this episode. Our goal is to provide amazing value on your real estate journey. Connect online at www.taleeinvestments.com where you can find this episode and more. Did you like this episode? Subscribe, like, and share.